Turn in your Bibles. Uh, Dale, we know you have many. (laughs) To Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 is our text. You can find it in the Pew Bible on page 982 or wherever it is in your Bible. Philippians chapter 4. We're just looking at these first uh, few verses in chapter 4. Remember, it's good to remind ourselves uh, where we are and who the author is. The Apostle Paul writes this letter, but he wasn't always the Apostle Paul. In fact, he was Saul, uh, the one opposed, very uh, very much a religious zealot, but nevertheless opposed to Christ and his followers. So much so that he has the, the blood of Christians on his hands. Uh, he is one who stood opposed. His heart was hard. His heart was dark. But God, but God in his mercy uh, came and plucked and grabbed and overcame him and transformed Paul's heart and his life and his priority and his mission. Uh, you know, he, he didn't go on. Paul didn't go on. He was already astute and, uh, and, and well-known, but he did not go on to be healthy and wealthy and famous, maybe famous, uh, but he wasn't healthy and wealthy. Uh, he even suffers greatly, and he even suffers right now in prison because he writes he's He's under imprisonment unjustly. Imagine what that feels like uh, in, in, in not so good of circumstances. And, uh, and he's in a bad way. But nevertheless, uh, just keep in perspective that he has contentment, that he writes to them with sincerity and his heart is settled. And he's, he's writing to them and he even says that he's concluded this contentment is for me, even though he might go to you know, face death and be executed, for me to live is Christ and to die is Gain. Uh, that, that's strange to us. We, we can't imagine. Uh, and, and even for the folks in Philippi to whom he writes, remember they sent Epaphroditus uh, with this you know, the support and, and with some, you know, some aid to him in prison. He writes and sends him back with this letter of encouragement. He knows that they are suffering uh, under persecution in a Roman colonized city that has a lot of opposition that's very pagan and uh, enclosed off to their uh, you know, following of, of Jesus. The church at Philippi loves Paul. Paul loves and has great affection for them. And, and then Paul writes in the letter that he sends back. This is going to be a letter that's, that's read before the entire congregation. Um, and for us down through the years uh, to uh, overhear and enjoy, he calls out two people. Right. Awkward. You know, like by name, he calls out two women here uh, in our text as, uh, as as we can only imagine some of the awkwardness. So why don't you stand as we open and turn our focus? Philippians four. We begin with verse one. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and my crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia, I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, also true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, which is your gentleness, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... 
If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You may be seated. This is God's word. Let's ask his help. God, we do need your help and we do want to hear from you. Uh, Some of us perhaps this morning are unconvinced in our unbelief. Uh, Maybe we are unsettled. Maybe we are unclear. And, and, And we don't need someone to confuse things. So I ask that you'd please be in my speaking and in our hearing, especially our being and doing as we go from this place. For Christ's sake, we ask. Amen. Well, as we uh, well know, there is uh, a storm brewing that's uh, that's reaching the southern coast of of uh, New England. I guess it was a hurricane. Now it's a tropical storm, and uh, and I I, I was um, and I'm not really sh- you know sure what exactly it looks like. We actually got a video. The Powells are there on Block Island, Rhode Island. They were there for a family wedding, uh, so they, they they already sent some footage. But you can imagine, even in the midst of all of the the chaos and the wind and the rain and the storm in its intensity, what it's like. I imagine sometimes what it's like at sea. And and I actually read an article that talked about what it's like for for animals, for sea, you know, life in, in, in the ocean. And it was interesting to read that when a hurricane or a large tropical storm is making its way through, that a large fish like shark, they have, uh, you know, an ability to, uh, to detect the barometric pressure, and then they know that to go deeper. And when they do, it's all settled. You know, it's, it's, it's quiet. It's, it's in some ways life is normal for so much of the sea. That's hard to imagine with all that's going on uh, you know, at the surface of a storm amidst the wind and the waves. And I highlight that to say that there is this this hunger. There is a, a desire for peace. It, it's you know, it's it's the kind of peace that we desire so naturally that as an honest person, of course, we'd rather say, well, I don't want there to be any lack of peace in my life. I want there to be constant financial, relational, circumstantial you know, uh, peace in my life and all fronts. But the realistic person says, I would like to be like that in the storm because it's not if it's only, excuse me, it's not. Yes. It's not if it's when the storms of life will come and the circumstances turn sour and the storm comes that we want to experience peace, even amidst outward trial and outward turbulence and, and trouble that we want inwardly to have a sense of quiet. And confidence. We've seen that in other people at times, right? And and we're curious. It's it is it's it's it, it, you know it, we're struck with awe at times that people can have that. And God does desire that for His children. That's exactly what Paul is experiencing even now in prison, as strange as that might be for us to imagine. And God desires for His His children to have peace. And this something that is is obviously a piece that's likely broader and a piece that is is deeper and it's got a, a, a bigger definition than what we might define as something that is is a quiet at the emotional level. But but a more holistic, deeper thing. A couple of months ago, I mentioned that comparison. We've talked a lot about joy in the study of this letter that Paul writes. And we said that comparison is one of the great thieves of joy. Comparison is a thief of joy. Well, then what would be the robber? What would be the thief as it pertains to peace? And here's what I would like to suggest. It's anxiety and worry that is the thief. And of course, as I read one commentator this week, uh, put it, uh, put it, worry is not worry is wrong thinking about circumstances, people and things. 
But it's not merely enough to say to ourselves, stop worrying, because it's an inside job. Does that make sense? If it does, I mean, you've experienced this, right? There's a it doesn't matter if we're just telling ourselves, stop worrying. There's something internally that is is feeding and compelling it. And it's almost hijacking our ability to think. Some of you know what it means. That we need peace. But if you go just seeking peace, and so many people do in various forms and fashions, but if you just go on the pursuit of peace, which is a noble one, an understandable, natural one, you won't actually find it. But if you go seeking God, then you will. Does that make sense? Like It's not just that we are seeking peace or that we're seeking peace from God. We are seeking, in fact, the God of peace. And what flows from him is this true peace. Now, there's two words. There's two two uh, verses and one word I want us to look at right out of the gates as we were looking here. So if if you look at verse seven, first of all, let's let's look there. There's where the, the word peace is mentioned uh, two times in our passage. Verse seven and the God of peace, verse seven and the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The second one is in the latter part of verse 9. At the very, very end it says, And the God of peace will be with you. What's the common denominator? Peace, God. But the most important word, at least for our understanding going out from here and applying it, is this one word. And. And. It's important because it seems to indicate to us that there's actually to experience... And to walk in this peace, that there is a condition that Paul is in essence saying that if we do what is in verse, say, four, five and six, then and verse seven, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will be with you. Does that make sense? He didn't say he didn't start verse seven. He didn't say, notice that the peace of God will be with you and that surpasses understanding. He says, and it's hinged upon Walking in prayer, rejoicing in trusting in the Lord, that's when you will experience it. Same thing is true at verse 9. Because it says, and the peace of God will be with you. Well, built upon what? Conditioned upon and surrounding with what? That we would be having our, our thinking shaped. That we would be doing and emulating what Paul has said. Then the God of peace himself. That's the sweet promise. Did you catch that? It's not just the peace of God. It's that the God of peace, verse 9, praise God, will be with you and with us. So that's, I want us to just understand that out of the gates. That it's it's not just saying, here it is, sure as, as day. It's saying, walk this way. That there are actually avenues that you need to pursue and things we must think and do for us to experience This peace of mind and heart, a secure mind and heart. The three avenues I've got listed there in the order of service are simply this that I think I see uh, in the text. First is seeking unity. The next is praying consistently. And then lastly, thinking intentionally. So first of all, seeking unity. I think we see this in the first three verses. Verse one, he talks about how they're his beloved. They're like family. These are brothers and sisters that he has great affection for. But he's troubled because they don't have harmony. There's two women here mentioned, Iodia and Syntyche, and they're divided. 
And we don't know the nature of their disagreement or their discord or disharmony. We don't know this, the precise source of it. It might, be something, it might be something seemingly petty. It might be something that is longstanding between their families or, or hurt feelings or offenses that run both ways. We don't exactly know. But it's safe to, to assume that these two women are pretty prominent in the congregation. They must be leaders in the, Philippi, in the, in the Philippian church because Paul's concerned that it will, it will go on. He wants to address it before everyone because he knows that there, there could be sides forming. There could be further division if they don't become reconciled and are at peace. Does that make sense? He's writing from prison. He's heard word. It's, it's, it's a big enough of a deal. And he wants them to what? He wants them to agree. He wants them to set aside their maybe their hurts or their offenses. I'll mention this later. Of course, not all fear, not all anxiety is inherently bad. As Paul, uh, you know, even talks about a great, uh, you know, he talks about here, but also just the, the ethos of it is that he is very much concerned. He's not, well, what's going to happen between them and what's going to happen with the unity of the church doesn't matter. No, he is concerned. That's why he is stressing this and emphasizing it all the more further because he doesn't want to see the, the, and this turn into a fracture. It's safe to say that it's not whatever it is that's, the, that's a disagreement between the two is a black and white issue. It's, it's not something of doctrine as if to say, listen, let me help you in his apostolic authority to say, listen, you know, syndicate is right. And let me instruct you. So, you know, set it aside, move on. Let me just provide this clarity. It's not like that. What, whatever it is, it's not, it's not black and white. And Paul is not taking sides. Notice that he's not, he's actually complimentary of both of them. He's commending them. He's commending their character. He said that, he said, look, he's looking at the past. He's saying, you, you, you two, along with others, labor together. And looking future, he says, and, and both of you, what does he say there in verse 3? Uh, have your names in the book of life. You're going to be in heaven together. So by all means, get along now because you've got a lot, lot of future ahead of you together at the banqueting table in, 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 in glory. It's a good way to think about it sometimes in the midst of our conflicts and relationships. Sadly enough, I'm, I'm sad. I, I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had this year with friends of mine in leadership and in other congregations, pastors who have seen churches split right down the middle, surrounding the pandemic, surrounding politics. It, it's, it's troubling. It's sad to think about. And, and we live in a culture that just says, if you disagree with someone, what do you do? You cancel them. You dismiss them. You write them off. You distance yourself from people that aren't going to agree with you. And that's not, that's not what Jesus wants. And that's not what Paul wants for the church here. If your feelings are, you think about ways that we, you know, find ourselves in conflict at times with others. And, and conflict is not inherently evil. It's a real part of living in this broken world. And that conflict could be a ripe opportunity to apply the gospel. But sometimes we, we assume that the authority of our feelings must win the day. And my hurt is more important than us working this out or, or involving others or seeking help or coming together. What does this have to do with peace? Well, I mean, it's obvious that there's a, 
a, a horizontal element to the peace. And I don't know about you, but when I'm at odds with someone else, I, I, I'm troubled and I don't have peace. And furthermore, it jeopardizes our fellowship with God Almighty vertically in peace. It's one of the very reasons that we're told in Scripture in James verse 3, it talks about the importance of our mouth. It says with the mouth, it's with it, with our tongue and our mouth, we bless our Lord and Father and with it curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursings. My brothers, this ought not be so. Think about that. It's First John that says, talks about how much of a contradiction it is that we would say with the same mouth that we love God and we hate our brother. That you can't say you're walking in the light and those two things be coexisting. Of course, it doesn't always depend upon us, right? We say, I wanted to have peace. I wanted to work it out, but they just wouldn't change. Well, no, that's not the only condition, right? We can forgive people even if they don't ask for it. But what I'm saying is, yes, there are times, sadly enough, that people do or a person or a party seeks that peace, and it's not realized. It doesn't mean we shouldn't still pursue it. Again, another passage, Paul writes, Romans 12, 18, as much as it depends upon you, or as far as it depends upon you, live at peace, he says, with everyone. Paul here is encouraging them also to gain the help. One of them is unmentioned, or is unnamed, we don't know, uh, to gain the help of, of gaining clarity, a mediator. Someone that helps an objective party that comes and tries to help this person see what this person doesn't see and this person see what this person doesn't see. Does that make sense? It's, it's a, a large part of, of trying to navigate disagreement and conflict. A mediator is what he's commending uh, to them. And maybe that's something you need, by the way. Maybe you need... In your difference and in in the struggle you have with someone that you need to involve and ask for help. And maybe some of you actually need to offer and extend that help to someone else that you parties that you love and care for to help and guide them. It's obviously needed in the, in the early church. What's in view here is a biblical Christ centered conflict resolution. And that's why he doesn't just say, get over it, move on. Uh, you know, agree to disagree. Sometimes when I do marriage counseling, I tell people, listen, at the end of the day, I want you guys to agree. And maybe it's just that you both agree that you hate me <laughs> uh, and what I have to say to you. But here he's not saying any of those things. He is saying, here's what I desire and long for you, that you would what? Agree in the Lord. No small thing. That being united in Christ and focused there, that we would have that capacity for unity. Well, that's part of the avenue of having peace, you know, horizontally, relationally, in community, and unity. Let's move on. The second thing I would say is another avenue is praying consistently. Maybe another way of putting that is praying spontaneously, that it, it just it rises up. There are many elements to this. There's rejoicing in verse 4. In verse 6, it talks about supplication, which is another word for, you know, request or a petitioning of God. And then there's thanksgiving. All of these you know, are important elements to prayer. Sometimes well-intentioned people will say, well, listen, you just need to rejoice. Right? You just, you need, you know, if you're, if, if you're conflicted and you don't have peace and maybe you have anxiety, 
you know, you just need to rejoice because the Bible says rejoice. And it would almost sound trite, if not altogether cruel, when people's hearts are sad and their circumstances are very hard. But that's not what Paul's trying to convey here when he says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It's a it's a deeper meaning, right? He's he's not just commending something emotionally to them. And Pastor Tim Keller brings, I think, some focus to this in the, the book he writes in Counterfeit Gods. Rejoicing, quote, in the Bible is much deeper than simply being happy about something. Paul directed that we would rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians 4, but this cannot mean always feel happy, since no one can command someone to always have a particular emotion. To rejoice is to treasure a thing, to assess its value to you, to reflect on its beauty and importance until your heart rests in it and tastes the sweetness of it. Rejoice is a way of praising God until the heart is sweetened and and rested and until it relaxes its grip on anything else it thinks that it needs. Rejoicing is part of prayer and release and you know as I heard one 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 Bible teacher put it prayer is not something God wants from us it's something God wants for us that we would be releasing And so the antidote here, because the the call in verse 6, let's read it again. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Make your request known to God. So the antidote, it's a crucial thing if you think about it. Our peace and anxiety subsides when we find rest and refuge in God. And so naturally, the antidote that he's saying here in verse 6 to worry and anxiety is prayer. Now, again, not all worry is bad. Even the word here that Paul uses in the original language for anxious is one that he used earlier in chapter 2, verse 20, when he talks about his concern. He's anxious. He's concerned for their their welfare. So that's a positive way. And some, sometimes fear and, 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 and worry is a good motivator to action, right? I mean, we can all think about that in a number of areas of our life. It's important in functioning. But there is a type of fear that is not healthy, that is not wise, that is not Christ-centered or biblical. Sadly enough, some people don't have any worry because they don't have any affection or love. They're apathetic. There are times when, when people are apathetic and that, they, don't have, they don't have any worries, but that's because they don't have any, any love. They don't, they're apathetic. Paul has deep concern for people's welfare, and that's born out of, out of love. He's not apathetic. There are people who are so apathetic they're not concerned about others' well-being. They're not even concerned about their own well-being. And that's not good. It's not healthy. It's not biblical. But active Worry that is is negative or dishonoring to God is the selfish and destructive type that walks around asking all the time, what if? 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 You know what it sounds like? You know, we all have experienced this. It's a type of worry that craves knowledge and control. And this is where prayer comes in. 
And yes, I want to just say as an aside, and it's a very important one, that we wouldn't misuse this verse as a hammer against people who have deep anxiety. There's some that it's 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 overwhelming. It's it's very strong, and perhaps they need uh, medical and, and 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 emotional health therapy to gain some help. But so we don't go to them and just say, well, it says all you got to do is pray. So just pray harder. How do you know they haven't been praying really hard? They don't necessarily need more prayer. We need more prayer for them. Perhaps it doesn't all hinge on faith and prayer. But I will say this confidently. All of us, to a person, all need to surrender spiritually to God in prayer. To experience enduring peace, it's applicable to everyone. A measure of peace is part of what's in view as we release things in prayer. Because we carry sometimes tremendous but altogether unnecessary burdens. Steve Brown, who was a professor at my seminary, tells the story of a man. And he was traveling across India by train. Very, very, very long train ride. It's an overnight and uh, maybe maybe longer than that. And uh, all he has with him is his, he, is his all of his belongings. They all fit into one one uh, one suitcase. And he's traveling. And he knew that there he had heard reports of, of people you know, stealing. So he didn't want to fall asleep. And he was endeavoring. He's, he's like... He's like pressing on. He's intent to stay awake, stay awake, stay awake, pinching himself. You know, it's almost agonizing to try to stay awake. And he feels like he's the only person that can protect. I've got to, I've got to protect this stuff. About 3 a.m., he kind of just resigns. I, I just can't do it anymore. I'm just going to just rest my eyes for a few minutes at 3 a.m. And then for just a few seconds, he does. And he wakes up and what's gone? He's back. And he says to himself, oh, Thank God I can now go finally to sleep. (laughs) Does this describe how we live sometimes? Are we carrying around worry in a bag, in a suitcase, or over our shoulder, and it becomes very heavy and we cannot find physical or emotional rest? Sleeplessness, physical sleeplessness. We're consumed. There's a reason. I love the imagery and it's hard for me. I know. I, I, there, there are times it's, it's very, very difficult. But I love the imagery. First Peter 5 says, cast all your anxieties on him. Throw them. Launch them. You know, just if you can't sleep, just throw the whole thing out the window. Uh, cast all your anxieties. Why? Because he promises there that he cares for you. To let it go, to turn things over to God who is not only in control, but who loves us and cares for us more than we even can imagine. We need prayer that echoes what the great hymn says and what a friend we have in Jesus. Sorry, we should have sung it this morning. But there's such a great verse there. It says, are there trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. It's part of the echo too of what we read in the Old Testament reading. What does it say? Let me find it there in in Isaiah 26. Trust in the Lord forever, and the Lord God is an everlasting rock. The right before that, excuse me, verse 3, 26, verse 3, Isaiah. You keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. Arthur Roach, I don't even know who this is, but it's the one who made this, this quote, and I think it's quite helpful. Think of this, the imagery, right? I think this is helpful. Anxiety is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, if that anxiety is encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. If, if prayer is the offloading and the surrendering and the turning over, then what's the, what's, the, what's the upload? What's the download? It's filling our minds. So let's move on because I think these last three verses, 7, 8, 9, would commend to us. If we want to have our hearts and minds guarded in Christ Jesus, what does he say there in verse 8? That's verse 7. Verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, all of these things, he says, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is, to, to think intentionally is a disciplined exercise of filling our mind. The importance of the mind Scripture is not in the least bit shy about. Training, transforming, filling, teaching the mind, the Christian mind. One of the ways we do this, for me, one of the exercises is in the context of prayer. Whenever I'm out, and usually it's when I'm physically moving, uh, you know, on a walk is I'm filling my mind with thoughts of thanksgiving. I know that I can, my mind can be hijacked by all kinds of worries, and I know what it's like to wake up and feel anxious, and my feet haven't even hit the floor yet. And then to, to press out and say, Lord, I need your thoughts to pick up his word, to walk out into his creation and say, I thank you. I thank you I'm able to walk. I'm able to see. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you promised that you'd never leave me nor forsake me. I thank you that you've promised that he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. I thank you, God. And the list goes on and on. But you have to make space for this. And it has to be intentional. There's an intentionality. I heard a great analogy. A teacher put it this way. And what it means to fill our minds and to think. It's like a mixtape, right? Yeah. Yeah. All you, all, you, all you 30-year-old and under people, I love you. But you don't have a clue what I just talked about. A mixtape. A mixtape, you'd have to do a lot of work. I mean, you need like a double-decker, you know, tape. Tape deck, and you would you you'd be listening to something, and then you hit record, and then try to capture, it, and then you flip it over, and then you you would try to hit record again at just the right point, and you you develop this mixtape. Then there became these things called CDs that you would burn, and and to do artwork and to create a playlist was kind of hard, and you you'd burn the CD. I remember when I was dating Krista, I was going to propose to her that weekend. I put together a collection of love songs, Volume One. <laughs> And it took a long time to put this thing together. You young people, 
You won't have a clue what I'm talking about. It takes like nine seconds to put together a playlist on Spotify. Give me a break. You don't even know what it's like. You think about this. It takes a lot. When someone used to make a mixtape or a burn CD for you, it took some work. It took some thought and some labor and intentionality. And what I'm saying is God has laid it out for us, and it's going to take some intentional, deliberate work to fill your mind with the things of God and eternity and truth and gravity and weight and glory. Please, if you need help, go to someone and say, would you please make a mixtape for me of the promises of God? And if you go and you say, "Okay, here's here's what's commended. And it's not all things spiritual. It's anything true, commendable, praiseworthy. Listen, go enjoy food and music and art. Go enjoy creation. That's. He's not saying just think spiritual thoughts. Just just go just go think about all that's in the scriptures and memorize that. Whatever. Anything and everything. But I will say this. When you think about the thing that is most just and most lovely and true and pure and all these things, you're going to make your way back to Jesus. You will find your way back to the person and work of Jesus. So here are the avenues in experiencing the peace of mind and heart, seeking unity, praying spontaneously or continually, and thinking intentionally. But he adds this one last thing in verse 9. Paul says, he's commending again himself what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Which is not pompous because he's saying, I've been consistent. You know I've tried to live with you. I've walked with you. I care for you. I've tried to model it for you. And I'm saying, would you follow me as I follow Christ? And we would want to say that to our, our friends and children and other people that we want to point to Christ. That we would, we would want to live this way. But one of the things I like about the fact that he highlights this at the very close of the thought. Is that he's not just saying, oh, well, if you want to experience less anxiety and more peace in your life, then you just need to be thinking and praying. No. He presses it further. You need to be doing. Some of you and some of us have experienced anxiety precisely because you haven't done anything. You haven't taken the step, whether it's your personal health or your finances it, it compounds. It gets worse. You are What's going on? You're not taking a step. He's saying, follow, act. Faithful living. Not just thinking and praying, but doing. Now, as it relates to experiencing again that ultimate peace, which is only from God because of the God of peace. And, and certainly as it relates to people in our life, even people that we love and we live with, we're told here that we need a mediator. And we're told in the bigger picture that we need a really profound mediator who represents us to God and God to us. And that, my friends, is Jesus. It's always where I end. Let's pray. Father, we look to you right now and we pray that you would teach us to walk 
in these avenues and pathways that we might experience a peace that you desire for your children. We thank you for your rich and precious promises. We thank you that you are the God of peace, not at distance, but as we're told so clearly here, near us, imminent, close by. Lord, I pray that you would make that real to us in new and fresh ways in this week ahead, whatever we might face. I pray uh, for people who uh, right now have, have tremendous sleeplessness and they are burdened and weighed down because of some of this anxiety, because of conflict in their family or in other places. Lord, meet them, guide them, counsel them by the power of your spirit and help us to be a people who are compassionate, who go and seek to try to build bridges of peace, to walk in your light and in your way. Lord, I do pray today for people who can't experience peace very easily, not outwardly, certainly at least, because there's turmoil and politically and, and there's turmoil uh, amidst the weather, the people who are facing the hurricane, the, the aftermath of the hurricane that hit Haiti. Lord, we pray for your mercy as people grieve. Lord, we pray as we think about the storm that has hit uh, Afghanistan and the people there who are so overwhelmed and and, and, and and some are trapped and some are suffering and some have died. Lord, we pray for wisdom, for leadership. We pray for mercy. We pray especially for our brothers and sisters who are part of the church there in Afghanistan who have to meet under the threat of and gather to worship you and follow you in, in a day-to-day basis with great threat from enemy opposition. Lord, would you please this day guide us and guard our hearts and minds as you've promised. For we ask all these things in Christ's all-sufficient name. Even now.